This morning we're still in chapter 19 of Genesis. We're going to be looking at the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah through the eyes, uh, from the perspective of, you could say, Lot. So last Sunday we looked at it from a historical, archaeological perspective mainly. There's a ton of evidence that shows that the events uh, that happened in chapter 19 here uh, were exactly as God's word said it was. Uh, he rained down sulfur and fire from heaven and destroyed the cities of the valleys. And today, within those events, within the events of Sodom and Gomorrah, we will see the consequences of Lot's spiritual decline. Now, one thing to remember, they rewind back to Genesis 12, if you will. If you remember what happened, there was a famine in the land of Canaan. Abraham took his family, his entourage, if you will, his camp, which included his nephew Lot, and they went on down into Egypt. Now, we have no record of God telling Abraham to go on down into Egypt. We have no record of Abraham even seeking God's direction on whether or not he should go on down into Egypt. But <coughs> understandably, Abraham had mouths to feed, right? Not just his own. He had a large company of people to feed. Um, we know he had large because not too longer he's assembling 315 men to go rescue Lot, right? So he had a large company of mouths to feed and take care of. He was probably worried. Should he have stayed in the land of Canaan and trusted the Lord? Probably. He didn't, though. Right? So that's beside the point. The great man of faith, the father of faith, Abraham, had a moment of weak faith, which had consequences that play out even until the events that we read today. How so? Well, while they were down in Egypt, if you remember, Abraham lied about his wife being his sister, right? Because he had this legitimate concern about the Egyptians murdering him to take Sarah away from him, which indeed could have happened, right? But, and the Pharaoh, I mean, Sarah was beautiful. The, th the Pharaoh thought she was beautiful. All the Egyptians thought she was beautiful. They bring her to the Pharaoh and Pharaoh pays Abraham, he pays, her, he pays him with sheep, oxen, uh, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, camels, etc. So he could take Sarah for his wife. Now, thankfully, the Lord intervened because Abraham surely didn't. And the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. And he let the Pharaoh know that he was in the wrong, that Sarah was indeed Abraham's wife and not his sister. And so the Pharaoh, of course, is humiliated and, and he's, he sends Abraham and everyone out. Can't believe you didn't tell me this. Get on out of Egypt. They leave, but they leave wealthier than when they went in to Egypt. And that wealth brought problems. The herdsmen between the two camps, between Abraham and Lot's camp, they started arguing. Strife developed because the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Right? Because it tells us that their possessions were so great. They had way too much stuff to be able to dwell together. So they had to split up. Well, where did Lot choose? 
Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, 11, and 12, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, like the Garden of Eden, right? Like the land of Egypt, it says, in the direction of Zoar. And it tells us, well, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So it says, Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And then in verse 12, it tells us, that Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Catch that phrase. He moved his tent as far as Sodom. Right? He didn't lift his eyes to heaven. He didn't seek the Lord. He lifted his eyes to the plains of Jordan. He, he looked at the Jordan Valley. He was reminded of Egypt. He was reminded of what he knew about the Garden of Eden. And he moved his tent as far as Sodom. The King James Version says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He turned his head facing Sodom. Lot's heart had been led astray and been enticed by the worldly riches and wealth, by the beauty of the land that he saw down in Egypt. Right, The grass was greener on the other side of the fence. However, greener is not always better as Lot was soon to find out. When you pitch your tent, when you turn your face with desire, with eagerness towards sin, towards immorality, towards wickedness and evil, then you will fall. Then you will start living in it. How do we know this? Well, where do we see Lot next? That happens to be in Genesis chapter 14, the next chapter, right? We see him living in Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom, and then we see that he's living in Sodom, right? The kings of the north come down and attack the kings of the south, and they attack Sodom, and they took all the possessions, and they took all the provisions, and it tells us in verse 12 of chapter 14 that they also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. He went from pitching his tent toward Sodom to living in Sodom just like that, and you know what, spiritually speaking, it's the same way with sin. Right? We turn towards it, and before you know it, we're living in it. Instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we're being conformed to the pattern of the world. And so what we're going to see this morning is a truth concerning the pull and the temptation of sin, a truth concerning the power of full influence of sinful living on our lives, not only our lives, though, the lives of our family, and the destruction that it causes. Seen in the life of righteous Lot. Righteous Lot, right? A worldly, backslidden, carnal, compromised believer whose life is greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, as it tells us in Second Peter, which it also tells us that he was righteous. And I would add, it's greatly distressed by his own conduct as well. Worldliness is not a matter of geography, it's a matter of the heart, right? Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, which was everything that Lot was going through here, right, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's a, not a matter of geography, it's a matter of the heart. And as Warren Wiersbe says, Lot's heart was in Sodom long before his body was.
All right, so let's read Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to read the whole chapter. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth, and he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man, the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house and with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold. Your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little, by the way. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Verse 30. Now, Lot went up out of Zor, and he lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. 
So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the power and the strength of your word. And I thank you for the hope that's found in it as well, even in stories like this, which are sad and uh, confusing. But in the midst of it, we see the mercy of God. So we thank you for this. And we pray, Lord, that your word speak. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, where do we see Lot now, right? He pitched his face towards Sodom. He was found living in Sodom. Well, now we see him sitting at the gate of Sodom, right? And remember, I said, the gate of the city is a place where all business and commercial activities centered. It's also where judicial councils take, took place. So generally, if you sat at the gate of the city, that meant you were an official of the city. So now it would seem that Lot is an official, of Sodom, right? He's gone from looking at Sodom and liking what he saw to pitching his tent towards Sodom, to living in Sodom, to being an official at the gates of the city. Now you would have thought that the whole taken captive, prisoner of war ordeal, you know, might've changed his outlook on living in Sodom. No, right? It didn't. Right, it reminds me of Galatians 5.1 that says, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. When you are a slave to sin and you are set free, why then would you go back to being a slave? Well, it goes without saying that Lot's relationship, his fellowship with the Lord has suffered. How do we know this? Well, in the first three verses here, we actually get a picture of it right away, spiritually. We can see this picture of how his relationship with the Lord has suffered. First, we know that just in the previous chapter, chapter 18, two angels and Jesus came and visited Abraham. And the two angels went on down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jesus stayed behind a little bit to talk to Abraham, because Abraham had some questions about what was going to happen. But of the three, how many came in to Sodom to visit Lot? Just two. Just the angels. So one of my first questions would be, well, where's Jesus? He just had this great fellowship with Abraham, sat down, right, had a barbecue, stayed for lunch. He's not going to go visit Lot? Two? Just the angels? There's something to think about. Light and darkness cannot fellowship. Right? They cannot coexist together. Even at creation, not, right? not to over-spiritualize it, but even at creation, God saw that light was good and he separated light from darkness. It's the same way spiritually. Sin and God cannot coexist together. 
Right? God is righteousness, and he cannot coexist with sin in any sense. So as a believer, such as Lot, who was living a life of compromise, living a life of carnality, possibly unrepentant of his actions at the time, he hasn't lost his salvation, as we see, because God rescues him, right? But his fellowship with God suffers. Unlike Abraham, right, who was a friend of God, Lot was not set apart, was not wholly devoted to the Lord, so the Lord could not fellowship with him. So Jesus isn't there. Those who separate themselves from the world and unto God enjoy the close walk and the communion with the Lord. Those who don't, don't. It's that simple. But we also see it in what Lot served them. Again, not to over-spiritualize this, but what did Lot serve them? He served them unleavened bread. Right? It's the first mention of the word leaven in the Bible. He himself baked them unleavened bread, which makes you like, well, where was his wife, right? But who knows? It was actually very common for the wives to be off working and doing uh, jobs within the city and the men to be at home, actually. Think about that one. So what is leaven symbolic of? Right? Leaven is often the symbol of corruption, decay within God's people, right? And it's very important, vitally important, that the spiritual fellowship not be contaminated with leaven, right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump, as it says, right? Jesus, when he's speaking, he'd said, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, beware the leaven of Herod. He says that different ways throughout the gospel. Don't let the leaven right? Come in. Don't let it infect you. Well, it's the first thing Lot bakes them. Leavened bread, right? Again, not to over-spiritualize it, but it's just a little bit of a picture to show you where Lot's heart is, spiritually speaking, in fellowship with the Lord. He's let this leaven come in and leaven the whole lump, right? But he does, we do see a picture here, a glimpse of his righteousness because he does urge strongly for the angels to come inside, right? He urges them, he get them off the street as he's seemingly trying to shield them from the degenerate abuse that he knows is coming, right? No, no, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't stay in the square. Don't sleep in the middle of town. Don't stay at the town square. Come into my house, come on. And so that's a small little glimpse of, Ab- of Lot's righteousness. But immediately then what we see is the moral depravity of the sodomites, which we went over last week. Right? They're not practicing their evil deeds in secret. They're shouting them aloud in the street. They're proud of their wicked immorality. Right? Verse 5 tells us that they show up all of a sudden, all the men of the town, young and old, every man, it says, which is just crazy to think of, show up in the front of Lot's house, knocking on his door, and they're saying, hey, where are those two men? Where are those two men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Right? No wonder their sin was very grievous to the Lord, right? The, the enormity of the wickedness is overwhelming, especially when we consider that all the men of the town are involved, all of them. But, it's just not, but that's not the only, the only moral depravity that we see here, unfortunately, because look at Lot's response, right? 
I mean, he tries to talk some sense to him. He goes outside, he shuts the door behind him. He says, now listen, guys, they're under the protection of the roof of my house, right? Leave them alone. But obviously that wasn't going to work. And he knew it because he follows it up right away by offering his two virgin daughters. Here, take my two daughters. They haven't known a man. They aren't married. Take them. Do with them as you please. I, I honestly can't fathom the decision. I can't wrap my head around it. It doesn't seem like that's option B to me, right? It makes no sense. I don't know if, if Lot thought this was some sort of noble sacrifice on his part, uh, a last-ditch desperate attempt to save his reputation maybe in the town, right? I mean, Lot was in a confused state of mind without a doubt. I mean, who would offer up their two daughters as a sacrifice like this, right? I, no, I would be loading the shotgun, right? We would be at the front door going over my dead body. Right? We wouldn't be offering up our, our two daughters. However, think about this. And it's an interesting thing just to think about really quick. What about the fact that Lot has two virgin daughters in Sodom? That's, that's against the odds right there, is it not? <laughs> I mean... He has, he has two virgin daughters in a town as corrupt and immoral as Sodom. What, is, what does that say? Does that say that Lot still has some righteous influence over his family? Possibly Lot even thought he had some righteous influence over the men of the city as well. I think maybe there's a little, just a little sliver there of righteous influence. Well, actually both of those questions are going to get answered before we're done <laughs> with the chapter. And it's, it's not the answer you're looking for, probably. Right? Because we can start with the men of the city. He goes out to, to talk to the men of the city. And we find out right away what the men of the city think about Lot. They are not humored by him at all. His proposal only seems to anger them. Right? Their true feelings towards Lot surface immediately. It turns out, guess what? They don't like him. They don't like Lot. They say in verse 9, they say, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Right? That's an insult to Lot. What they're saying is, listen, you just came to stay here temporarily. Now you're living in our city as a judge at the gates. Who do you think you are, Mr. Hypocrite, trying to tell us what to do? You've been living in this town with us this whole time. You think you're the judge of us? You're a ridiculous lot. Now we're going to mess you up big time. Right? Listen to the truth here concerning this example that we see. The world will never accept you no matter how they act or what they say. Right? They may give you lip service or they look at you as a hero temporarily. But when the chips fall, Right? Any compromise that you have made in your Christianity or in your faith towards the world is going to come back to bite you. When you've been living in the world as the world lives with no attempt to live a life separated unto God, with no attempt to be holy as God is holy, then guess what? Your witness is invalid. Righteous Lot had no witness before the men of the city. They just shot him down. Don't try to be righteous in front of us, Lot. We know who you are. You've been living here in our city this whole time. Right? 
Your witness is invalid. You have no influence over the ungodly when you have been living an ungodly life right alongside them. When the lights go out and you are seen as the only light shining, no matter how dim the light, because I'm, I'm going to assume that, like, you know, spiritually speaking, Lot's light was shining in the city of darkness, but his light was a dim light. But it doesn't matter at that point. Because when it's all dark and the lights are out, and there's only one light they see, no matter how dim it is. Darkness at that point is going to resent you. And they resented Lot right then and there. Don't tell us how to live our life. Don't judge us. Right? This is almost always the inevitable outcome of a carnal Christian living in the world. Lot found this out the hard way. Thankfully, right, the angels were there. Thankfully, the Lord's looking out for Lot. Right? Thankfully, the angels took matters into their own hands. They blinded all the men. They blinded them with this blindness of confusion. They seemingly had no idea where they were, where they were going. They didn't know up from down or inside from out. They couldn't find the doorknob. Right? They were just, all the men of the city were just instantly confused and blinded. They had no idea what to do. Right? Thankfully, the Lord was looking out for Lot. Right? The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Right? You find that in 1 John chapter 2. That's kind of this picture that we see here in Sodom. Now, the angels then tell Lot, pack your bags, grab your family, get out of town, because we're bringing judgment down. The Lord has sent here to destroy this town. Right? You guys got to leave this place and get out of here. Get everyone that you know, right? So Lot tells his daughters. He tells his sons-in-laws. His sons-in-laws thinks he's crazy, right? It says that, that, but he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. You see that in verse 14, right? They think he's just joking with them. What? You're just pulling our leg, right, Lot? There's nothing about what you're saying that makes any sense. Now, it's never mentioned whether or not Lot has any sons or not. Um, but if he did have any sons, he didn't tell them, number one. We don't have, there's no picture of him going trying to tell his sons to get out of town. And two, they were probably with the group of men outside his house. Right? Which is a sobering picture, quite frankly, of the deadly results of a father's compromise in the world and how it affects his children, which we also see later on with his daughters. So then in verse 15, it says, As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Take up your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Right? It's morning now. We've given you a chance to get ready to go. Are you ready to go? Get out of town. Now, grab your wife, grab your daughters who are here. Notice it says, grab your daughters who are here, which means maybe there were some daughters who weren't. I don't know. Get out of town. But look at Lot's response. Verse 16 but he lingered, but he lingered, right? Are you seeing the problem that we have here? Lot is so entrenched in his worldly life that he's having problems letting go, right? It reminds me of those who would come to see Jesus, asking questions about what is it, you know, what can I do to be a disciple? What is it, you know, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus would always tell them things like, let the dead bury themselves, right? Give all your money to the poor. He always had this response. There was something that they had to let go of. There was a sacrifice that they had to make, right? Because Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 
There was a sense of urgency and immediate surrender that was needed to follow the Lord. Sacrifice was needed in that sense. And guess what? Some of those people, when they came up to Jesus, they wouldn't do it, right? They left sad. They left distressed because they could not give up what Jesus was asking them to give up. This is what it takes to follow the Lord. Lot, get out of town. Grab your wife. Grab your daughters. Get out that door right now. We're going to destroy the city. And what does it say Lot does? He lingers. Ah, ah. I don't know. Are we, do we have all the bags? Did we unplug the coffee machine? Right? Are we, I don't know. Right? He lingers. He hesitates. Why? Because the world has such a pull. Sin is magnetic and attractive. We have a hard time separating ourselves. We have a hard time separating ourselves. Lot hesitates. He lingers. The Hebrew word is maha, meaning that he was reluctant. Why the hesitation? Right? Your life is on the line. Seriously, if, a, if your house is on fire and a fireman busts in the front door to help you, and he says, get out. Are you going to be like, I don't know if I want to. I mean, is that going to be your reaction? Are you going to linger around the house? We're going to destroy the city. They actually have these things called knock-knock bombs. Anyway, they land on the, the, part of it is lands on the roof and knocks before the bomb goes off so that the people in the building can get out. People who understand what that is, get out of the building. I I don't understand the hesitation. But, you know, it's hard to pull away from sin. You're going to give up much following the Lord. Yes, you will. But guess what? What you gain is so much greater. Right? What What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Nothing, right? The angels told him, the Lord is about to destroy the city. But once again, thankfully, mercifully, the Lord's looking out for Lot. It says the angels seized him. They grabbed him and his wife and his two daughters. I get the impression from what's written that they didn't just drag him out of town. They picked him up and flew him out of town, right? And then they dropped him on the outside, because that's what it kind of says, right? It says, uh, let's see, where is it? So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city, right? So they just set him down. They're like, whoosh, boom. All right, now run, Lot, right? They dragged him by force. The, the, you know the actual, the Hebrew word here for seized? The Hebrew word is kazak, and it means strengthened and encouraged. That's what it means. The angels strengthened and encouraged Lot. How? By picking up his sorry butt and taking him out of town before the Lord destroyed it. Right? The compassion of the Lord was on him. Right? This is the, the Lord showed mercy. This is the first use there of that word, of that mercy. Because the Lord is merciful, the Lord is gracious. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and he's great in mercy. It tells us in Ephesians chapter two, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated 
us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show us the miserable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of mercy and grace that they had for Lot and his family. And they tell him after they drop him off, they say, escape, run Lot, serious. Don't be anywhere in the valley. Get out of here. And look at Lot's response again. It's such a pitiful response the way he begs. They tell him, they tell him, don't stop anywhere in the valley. Run to the hills. Don't look behind you. Just go. Just go. And Lot is so pitiful. He's like, but I don't know, that's I don't, too far to run. I don't want to go to the hills. Please let me stay in that city over there. It's a nice little city. Don't destroy it, right? Isn't it nice and little? Right? And the angels are like, okay. That's why the city was named Zoar, because now after this, the name of the city was Little. Like, okay, go to that city then. Go. We won't destroy that city. Just get out of here and go. Get, right? Compromise. That's all it is. Lot's still trying to compromise with the world. Still trying to compromise. Well, then judgment comes down. Right? Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 24, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valleys and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Right? It's the first mention of fire, by the way, in the Old Testament. It has to deal with judgment. But Lot's wife, she was lagging behind, verse 26, but Lot's wife was behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. It can also be translated, returned back. See the hold that sin has on your life, that world, the world has on your life? She couldn't leave. The angels physically picked her up and took her out of town. She gets out there and is told to flee, but instead she returns back. She turns back around and they told her, don't turn around, don't turn around. Don't turns back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Why do we look back? Why do we turn back? Why do we return back to our old life? Again, when you're a slave to sin and you have been set free, why would you go back to being a slave? In this case, it killed her. She turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Don't look back. Here's the real issue. And I I promise we're going to wrap this up sometime today. Here's the real issue. We somehow have a strange attraction to sin. We find it rather fascinating. There's a dangerous curiosity about evil. We like to live on the edge. For some, their goal is to see how close they can live to the world on the edge and maintain fellowship with the Lord at the same time. Right? Those are the same people who like to play with fire in hopes that they won't get burnt. It didn't turn out well for Lot's wife. I mean, it tells us in Luke 17, remember Lot's wife. 
And then what does it say? It says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will preserve it. You need to give up that life. You need to turn away from that life and flee it. Flee from the world. Flee from the sin. But for Lot and his daughters now, well, it's just still continuing to go downhill. What's interesting is, is that Lot didn't want to go to the hills. He wanted to stay in the city. But now, after he goes to the city, it says he doesn't want to stay there. He was afraid to live in Zoar. So he gets there. The angels spare the town. He's afraid to live there. So where does he go? He goes to live in the hills, exactly where the angels told him to go in the first place. But they get there, and his daughters think that all of mankind's been destroyed. Right? I don't know why they thought that. They just came from a town that was spared. But... They think all of mankind's been destroyed. There is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Everyone's dead. God brought his judgment down on everyone. It's the apocalypse. We're the last people on earth. Let's go raid Target. No, they thought all of mankind had been destroyed. So what do they suggest? What should we do? Well, how about incest? That'll, that'll be good. doesn't look like Lot had any righteous influence over his children either. It's a sobering example of how our compromise with the world and our flesh and our sins can affect our children. The Moabites, the Ammonites, these nations basically are born out of the incest between Lot's daughters and Lot, though he was drunk, so he doesn't remember any of it. That's a sad ending. I mean, that's depressing. That's a depressing way to wrap up chapter 19. Thanks a lot, Pastor. Right? Lot ended up losing his family, his wealth, his reputation. He would live the rest of his days with the consequences of his sin right in front of him. Righteous Lot. After we go out and we've read all these verses, you've got to ask yourself, how was Lot righteous? Because I don't see a very good example of righteousness in the life of Lot. Well, one of the things you need to know is what it tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 33. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Okay? Lot kept bad company. Lot put himself, by choice, in a bad spot. He was tempted by the world and the wealth of the world and the riches of the world and the glitz and the glamour of, of Sodom. He probably benefited from it. He, you know, he probably had a, he obviously had some, somewhat of a reputation there in the city. He benefited from it, but guess what? It ruined his morals. It ruined his judgment. It ruined his discernment. He didn't have fellowship with the Lord anymore. But the other thing we have to really realize is that in reality, Lot's no different than you or I, right? And we probably judge Lot too harshly. Because we look at verses like what's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that tells us, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And we read those verses and we, and then we look at chapter 19 here and we look at Lot and we think, well, if the shoe fits and well, it seems that the shoe fits, right? Lot seems to be right in there. That doesn't seem like righteous to me. But then we, for, we, we forget to read the rest of the verses that follow there in 1 Corinthians. And we don't ever get to verse 11 that says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. But, keep reading. It's not finished yet, right? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But God. Right? Lot was influenced by the wicked culture around him. He lived in it by choice. It affected and corrupted him and his family in many awful and sad, sad ways. Sin separates us from the Lord. In sin, we disqualify ourselves from running the race. Right? I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again because it fits. I think the last time I used it was back in Hebrews when we were doing evening services, so maybe some of you haven't heard it. I don't think I've used it since then. But if I have, oh well. It's a good illustration. Right? Louis Zamperini, World War II veteran, Olympic distance runner. They've done a couple of movies on his life. He got saved at the Billy Graham crusade sometime. I can't remember the year. He was heading to Germany for the 1936 Olympics on a luxury steamer. It's called the Manhattan. And for Louis, he'd only eaten in a restaurant maybe twice in his entire life. Okay? So this steamer was paradise to him. He had never been in anything like this. I mean, got to remember, this was a Depression-era teenager whose diet primarily consisted of stale bread and milk. Right? But on this steamer... He woke to pastries, he woke to steak and eggs, and then tea, and then lunch, and then, and then, it just went on and on like that, right? He and his fellow Olympians who were on the boat, they raided the galley at night, they were drinking beer like it was going out of style, to the point that the ship had to make an unscheduled stop to restock the pantry. They had run him out of food, right? He wrote down a list of what he ate one night, just one night. And one evening, he ate this. It was one pint of pineapple juice, two bowls of beef, beef broth, two sardine salads, five rolls, two glasses of milk, four sweet pickles, two plates of chicken, two helpings of sweet potatoes, four pieces of butter, three helpings of ice cream with wafers, three chunks of angel food cake with icing, one and a half pounds of cherries, one apple, one orange, and a glass of water. At least he had a glass of water. <laughs> the point is this. These athletes were all on their way to compete in the Olympics. And they gorged themselves on this luxury steamer to the point that many of them gained so much weight that, that by the time they reached Germany, they had eaten themselves out of their weight class and they were unable to compete. Right? This is what sin does. This is what sin does. It seems pleasurable it seems exciting. We gorge ourselves on it because we're like, I have never had this before. It's fantastic. I'm just going to have more and more and more. And the next thing you know, we can't even run the race anymore. Right? We've eaten ourselves out of our weight glass and run it, unable to compete. We lose our way. We're thrown off course when we take our eyes off the Lord and focus on the pleasures of the world. If you were flying a plane, it states that for every one degree of a pl- that a plane veers off course, it misses the target destination by one mile for every 60 miles you fly. Right? So it may not seem like a lot at the time, but by the time you get to the destination, you're nowhere near it. 
means the further you travel, the further you are from your destination. So where's the hope in that? Well, the same place that Lot found it, right? But God, but Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How did Lot become righteous? Because I bet Lot learned this simple truth. Because we don't know what happened to Lot after this. This is the last mention. But Lot was now, you know, pardon the pun, but he was sobered up now probably. His life probably changed from this day. I mean, when you come face to face with the mercy and the grace of God in the way that he did, your relationship with the Lord changes. And so I have to assume that Lot learned this. The simple truth, it comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. It says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I think Lot learned that the pleasures of sin are short-lived, but to be with Christ is eternal. Hence righteous Lot. Hence the fact that God came in and pulled him out of the town before he brought judgment down. Because he knew he was righteous. Yeah, his heart and his life wasn't reflecting that, but God knew deeper who Lot was. The pleasures of sin are short-lived, but to be with Christ is eternal. So it's real simple. Choose wisely. <laughs> Choose wisely. It tells us in Hebrews 12 that we should then lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to lay those things aside. We've got to put them behind us so that we can race. I want to end with reading Psalm chapter 1. Eddie read this on Thursday, and I thought, I'm adding that to my sermon. Psalm chapter 1. It's only six verses. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you, Lord, for this great picture of mercy that you have even for those who are struggling. This should be so encouraging to all of us who, in reality, all of us struggle in our walk. But we know that you see beyond that. We know that you see beyond that because you saw beyond that with Lot. And despite his carnality and despite all the problems he had from his choice to live in Sodom, you went in and rescued him because of your mercy and your grace. 
and brought him out. The repercussions of his actions and his sins he had to live with the rest of his days. But he was known as Righteous Lot. We know he turned his life to you. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we can continue to be a light in the darkness, that we can continue to stand firm on your word so that we too can point people to the truth and the hope that's found in Jesus. Hope even in the midst of great sin and great wickedness. We thank you, Lord, for this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.